from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. This is the Chancellor's Report, featuring Mark Monet, Chancellor of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Here's your host, WUWM General Manager, John Hess. Welcome to the UWM Chancellor's Report. I'm your host, WUWM's General Manager, John Hess. On today's program, I'll talk with Chancellor Mark Monet and, and guest Betsy Brenner, former president and publisher, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Mark Cass, editor-in-chief, the Business Journal of, of Greater Milwaukee, Carol Meekins, TMJ4 anchor, and Georgia Pabst, a documentarian and former Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reporter. On today's program, we'll examine the way the landscape of both higher education and journalism are changing and how rapidly they're changing. Journalists play an important role in ensuring citizens have the information they need and that the information is accurate, accessible, and balanced with respect to equity and diversity. Thank you all for joining me today. And Mark, as usual, thank you for being here. Um, I wanted to really start off our, our questions a little bit with um, probably going to Carol and then maybe to, to Mark. Um, what would you, how would you categorize Milwaukee's strengths? What can businesses, economic development organizations, philanthropic organizations, and other private sector entities do to help address Milwaukee's access and equity challenges? So Carol, let's start with you. Well, I think we always have to look at what is good about where we live. And one of the first things that I always hear from everybody that I talk to is that Milwaukee is a small town, but it has big city amenities. And we're very blessed because we have major league sports, we have great arts program, a vibrant music scene. We have all of those things in a town that is easy to get around. And if you've been to other cities and lived in other cities and been in rush hour, I know a lot of people complain who haven't lived other places, like my husband. <laughs> He thinks, oh, it's so far. I'm saying this is just nothing to go to the other side of town here. But um, I do think that we are very blessed because it is accessible. Plus, we have the beautiful lake that has not been commercialized. To me, that's essential. I mean, really, John, I mean, John, when you look at it, look at Milwaukee and kind of what's gone right, I mean, it's a long list. You have the lakefront, kind of as Carol said, you have the city really over the past few years has seen a really surge in terms of, of the central area with NML and its new corporate headquarters with the arena, and obviously a brand new arena right in the middle of downtown and everything that's happening kind of downtown. So I think from a strength standpoint, things have gone very well. You said kind of the opportunities or maybe our challenges. I think we've seen over the past year or two in that's in our neighborhoods. We haven't seen the same level of growth, the same level of attention in our neighborhoods. And it's, and it's shown up and there's really a, a need for that. And it's something that I'm hearing more and more from the business community, something I'd ask, I hadn't heard for years is now coming up in almost every conversation I have is that we need to see what happened in the middle of the city in all areas of the city. So I, it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And Betsy, having come from the newspaper world um, and you know, obviously had been in this community for a long time, do you do you see those changes happening as rapidly as they could be happening or or should be happening and and are those are these changes things that are really reaching outside of the downtown core and sort of the business area and going into neighborhoods well john i think mark is right what we really need to see is some of the growth and development that we've enjoyed downtown spread into the neighborhoods and the fact that more and more people are talking about it, I think last summer's racial reckoning really brought it to the fore. I think um, once we figure out the formula to begin 
the economic, the housing, the social service improvements in our neighborhoods, we will really see the city take off. Never happens fast enough, but I know at least it's on the talking point agenda for many. And and Mark, as we look at that, you know, as we look at sort of this this relationship between media and higher education, uh, you know, working together to sort of present uh, not only just a positive picture, but just an accurate picture of what life is like in Milwaukee. How do you see those two entities working together? Well, I think you nailed one aspect of it. I think on a broader level, media shapes perceptions in a huge way. I look at what's happening in um, Cincinnati or St. Louis or Denver or Boston, and I look at the role of, of different uh, campaigns that cities have undertaken, and I think it's critically important. And I think I think this is where, again, it's got to be factual. It's got to be based in, in, in what good journalism would, <laughs> would, would uh, uphold. But I also think we need to salute those who are doing well. And I think there's some great wins and some great stories. And I think, as Mark Cass would know, um, employers are looking for what is the talent? I mean, that's one of the biggest issues when you're talking about attraction. Sure, taxes are important, um, physical settings and, and, and raw materials, but ultimately it's the talent today um, where talent is so um, portable. I mean, people can live anywhere. <laughs> and so we've got some great things, but I do think that talent pipeline and, and frankly, how um, the media works uh, with us is, is something that's vital. And I am really happy to say that whether it's the Journal Sentinel, Channel 4, Business Journal, number of different media outlets, we get um, great, great press in this community. That has not always been the case. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. And I think that's, that's a real asset for this region. You know, one of the things that we've been talking about a lot at, at uh, WUWM, and I'm sure that many of you have been talking about as well, especially in this past year, year and a half, is how um, media is making an impact with the issues of economic of equality and diversity in the Milwaukee region. And and Carol, I guess we'll start with you. You know, at WTMJ, I know you've done some things recently with uh, Milwaukee Tonight and and other things that you're working on. But how do you feel that the media can play a role? in this idea of, of promoting equity and diversity in our communities? Well, I will say this is something that we take very seriously, especially we have had really unbelievable sessions about inclusion, diversity, and everybody, it, it was mandated at our station, everybody had to take some serious courses in this. And we got some excellent, a wealth of information. One thing that we've really started to do is it's so important when you're interviewing uh, people for stories, look beyond just the easiest person. Don't just go to the person that everybody knows. There is, there's a black psychiatrist. There is an, a Muslim, um, a, you know, maybe a break dancer. Uh, look at people who are doing outside of the bubble. We, it can be a woman who is leading a construction company. And we're really working very hard to look at that. And we look at our stories to see, do we represent the community? Is there diversity? Do we have a, a fair representation? Whether it's Asian, Hmong, Black, White, we are very serious about that. And, and that's something that I think we all can do and we have to do. We can't just go to that one same well of people, of experts, that white male that has been traditionally the person that everyone goes to. We have to look beyond that. And we've been very serious about that. So I'm very proud about that. But also, you all, we have to remember that it's 
this community is made up of so many different people and we have to be aware of that and we have to respect that. And I think more important than anything, we have to keep the notion of compassion in, in the specter of life because I think sometimes people, oh, it's just my neighborhood, it doesn't matter to me, it doesn't affect my family. No, we're all universe, we're all together. So I think that's very important, this notion of empathy and compassion. Mark and, and Betsy, in terms of your organizations, how do you how do you view this these issues and and how have your organizations made different steps in the last few years to to change things? Well, you know, no, one, no, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Um, you know, one one really significant change in the way the media, in particular, Journal Sentinel, covers these issues is we used to just report the problems, and what you would see is a long list of everything wrong. Now I think the emphasis has changed to solutions-based journalism. We just don't want to be part of the problem by telling you the problem. We want to go out and find constructive examples of where things have gotten better. And some of those may be here in Milwaukee, they may be in other cities, but whatever it is, we want to present problem and solution together. Um, a really good example of that is a piece that James Causey did last year called Milwaukee's Promise. It highlighted some of the racial issues and barriers standing in the way of our community, but also gave concrete examples of how we can go about changing. You know, every Sunday, what used to be the opinion section of the paper is now the ideas lab, the same thing, bringing solutions and constructive suggestions forward so we can talk about them, debate them, and really consider what we can do to move forward and make the community a better place. I mean, I would say a couple of things. I think these are excellent points I've made so far by both Patsy and Carol. I'd go maybe, maybe I'd go a couple other ways. One is that a number of years ago, probably three or four four years ago, we started to meet. I actually led meetings, off the record meetings, with some of the leaders of the Hispanic community and of the African American community. We sat down in a room. There was no issue that was off that was off the table, and just had a discussion with them again off the record, so that we could we could hear story ideas, we could hear from individuals who live in these communities about what was going on. And then the other thing that we've done more of is that I believe very strongly in that you have to hold up examples. So we have a lot of awards programs at the Business Journal, uh, and we made a conscious effort three, four, or five years ago to ensure that our awards programs, our winners, reflected our community, in both industry, in both race and both men and women. So if you see one of our awards programs, you can bet it's gonna reflect our community. Because I think it's important for, for our kids and for other people in the community to see there are African-American leaders who are 40 under 40s, who are women of influence winners, who are C-suite leaders. So you have to hold up examples like that. And I think that's our responsibility as members of the media. We have to report the negative news. I say all the time, you have to report that it's our jobs. I also think it's our responsibility to hold up examples of things that are working in our community, examples of individuals who are working well in our community because others see that and others can then aspire to be that person. Yeah, I, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I, I wanna talk to Georgia for a little bit because Mark sort of opened the door up to this. When we look at the updates to the African-American and the Hispanic well-being reports, there continues to be concern. Um, and from your perspective, what are the main issues contributing to the uh, unwanted continuation of the trends that we see with uh, African-Americans and Hispanics in terms of youth unemploy unemployment and um, young Hispanic males, uh, their ranking in terms of employment here in Milwaukee? Can you talk a little bit about that, Georgia, and, and um, you know, what, what are some of um, 
the concerns that you see and that, that you have regarding these things? Well, I think some of the concerns have been, you know, widely publicized for not just this year, but for a number of years now. And certainly the black community, um, according to all uh, measures, is no better off today than it was 40 or 50 years ago in terms of education, in terms of home ownership, in terms of economic opportunity. And uh, the, so it's um, those are the, are the issues is, is economic opportunity. Uh, education and also the continued segregation of the community of the of Milwaukee. Uh, the suburbs are primarily white. The inner city is primarily black. There's issues of transportation, of getting from to to, the, to where the jobs are moving. There are issues of uh, students continuing and to get to graduate from high school. Uh, in the Hispanic community, the Hispanic community is growing. It's it's one of the fastest growing communities in the state and in the city. Um, while other population uh, popu- communities are, of color are losing are losing population, but um, the thing is, is that and there's a, a high percentage of, of people who work in Hispanics in Milwaukee work and elsewhere in the state. But the thing is, they work at jobs that don't pay enough, so they have to work two or three jobs, and they cannot make get the economic uh, power that they need to move on. And so uh, same thing with, with education. I mean, the education is critical in the Hispanic community, particularly as it continues to grow. 40% of the Latinos in Wisconsin and pretty much the state, um, and in Milwaukee and in the state, 40% are under the age of 18. So that's, this is going to be the future, the future of the city, the future of the state. And that's what we tried to, um, in, the, in the documentary that my husband and I did called Latino Wisconsin, Last year, we tried to show the importance and the impact and the influence of the growing Hispanic community, not just in Milwaukee, but throughout the state. And that clearly Hispanic labor drives the dairy industry. It drives food processing and harvesting. It drives many of the industries that that are uh, uh, economically uh, very, very important to the state. But yet the worker, the work uh, workers do not make enough money uh, to, you know, to get ahead. And so this is one of, I think, the aims of the Hispanic Collaborative, which formed a couple of years ago, which is that the Hispanic community leaders in the Hispanic community came together to say that if the community is going to advance, it has to be done from within. The community leaders have to um, uh, go to where the decisions are being made to get um, seats at the table, as they say, uh, in where business decisions and economic decisions and educational decisions are made so that the community is represented because the community has not been well represented in the past. It's been very, it's been very minimal. And this goes also to the university, if I may say, Chancellor. Um, the Hispanic, uh, people of color are not widely represented at the university. It's, the faculty is still 69% white. Um, even though um, the community, you know, uh, major- Milwaukee is a minority majority city, and 80% of those who go to the university are from Wisconsin, and many of them stay in Wisconsin. So I think there has to be, um, uh, and I know there are efforts underway uh, to increase the diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion at the university. But there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of work to be done there too. And I think part of the issue both with the media and with education, is that children 
of color have to see themselves in position of power, positions of authority as teachers, as uh, business leaders, as politicians. And if those aren't modeled for them, then it's much more difficult for them to see themselves, you know, in that role. So that, those are some of the, I think, I mean, it's a very, it's a totally complicated, but I think there's just a lot of issues that both the community, city, government, university, um, educational facilities need to look at in terms of how they're also modeling and how they're dealing with the issues of diversity and inclusion to make sure that there are faculty members and teachers and um, those who can model for, uh, for other students so that they stay in school and see themselves in those positions as they, as they progress. Mark, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to that a little bit. Myself off mute. Uh, it has to happen once every interview, right? Um, so, so um, yeah, Georgia is absolutely right, and I appreciate um, her reinforcing. We had uh, in a recent show Nancy Hernandez from the Hispanic Collaborative making many of the key points um, that we're hearing today from our speakers. And and let me uh, broaden the picture and then narrow it also. I think I think that in my opinion, education and employment are these inextricably tied pillars. And I'm not in any way discounting the importance of home ownership, neighborhoods, the role of churches, economic development associations, and other, other entities, and of course, how the media reflects this. But I do think um, if we can get K-12 and higher ed aligned in, in great ways, focusing on college uh, completion, closing the achievement gap, um, you know, we're seeking to become a Hispanic-serving institution. And um, you know that's where we would have 25% of our undergraduates of color. We have the largest uh, population in the state of Wisconsin in terms of diverse students. Higher ed throughout the uh, state, uh, and we have the Education Advisory Board data that shows that our faculty composition is actually a little bit ahead of some of the national uh, other urban campuses, but we've got a long way to go. And that's why we joined the region of choice, the MMAC region of choice that says we will have 25% more leaders of color by 2025 and we will have 15 percent more employees of color overall uh, in four more years so we're making progress but we absolutely have have a, a great way to go we've rolled out recently a new diversity equity and inclusion framework that has a number of key goals actions metrics assigned responsibilities i'm really proud of that um, but we have to do more both in and for our community and and as the largest uh, academic institution of higher ed in this region. So I'm uh, very confident we will hit those goals and, and make great, great headway, but it's not been in isolation. And that's something that, that led us to create the Higher Ed Regional Alliance, where we have every single two-year and four-year academic institution in the seven-county region, representing 140,000 students that are focused on, with an equity lens, getting students through college. Because what we know, Georgia referenced it, both for Hispanics and for African-Americans. If you draw the line of occupations over $40,000 a year, family sustaining or under 40,000, what you have, and look at the Hispanic Collaborative website, look at Mark Levine's uh, African-American Wellbeing Index, what we see is significant over-representation, significant, like 80% of employed Hispanics are under 40,000 and they are primarily in four or five occupations that are low demand, low pay. What you need to penetrate, what you need to overcome that is the two and four year degree. Certificate programs help too, 
But that's what we have to do to get to the breakthrough. And if we get the employment argument right, if we get that right, I think that changes home ownership, it changes health outcomes, it changes neighbor, and it, it just the whole landscape changes. And again, it's a systemic effort. We need good blueprints, we need good coordination. I just came out of meetings earlier today where we're working with a number of different organizations that are that are completely invested in this. Milwaukee Succeeds is working with um, Reggie Moore, who's at the medical college, some of the work that he's done in the Office of Violence Prevention, number of other individuals that are really working on those intersections, really making this uh, community stronger. Um, and there are there are um, well-intentioned individuals, but ultimately we've got to look at the results and we need to move the needle in, in much more profound ways. So we're all in at UWM, but we've got a long uh, road ahead of us. It's not easy. You know, and I, I think, uh, Mark, when we when we talk about sort of being all in, I mean, many of us here at the table today, we understand that um, in order to be able to cover communities of color, we need to be uh, trusted by communities of color and, and be part of, uh, to be sitting at that table, but not necessarily dictating at the table, but sitting at the table and listening to what the issues are and um, how we can depict uh, life in those communities, uh, you know, um, not in a necessarily a, uh, uh, a a situation where bad things are happening, but in a situation where just regular day-to-day -day life is happening and and being able to mirror that more. So I think both through education and also through the media, we're definitely trying to do that. And, and that, that does help. I wanna switch just to a second to talk a little bit about the digital world. Now, obviously we're talking on Teams, we're talking through the digital world right now. All of our media, uh, a lot of media now is consumed digitally, obviously through phones, through computers, through a whole bunch of different things. And we're reaching a whole different audience with that. So. When we talk about this bridging this 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 gap or this divide of, of education and media, uh, how do how do your organizations really attack that and look at that? Do you do you have different strategies for digital? Do you basically look at uh, you know the your digital platforms is the same as your maybe your print platform or your broadcast platform? How do you how do you look at all that stuff? And uh, Carol, let's start with you. Well, I can tell you over the past few years, digital has uh, come up there right with uh, viewing uh, just it's it's as important as anything anymore. And I think uh, it's something that everybody, all of us are going to have to realize there's community journalists. There are people out there with their iPhones. They're ready to tell the story. They're ready to uh, penetrate any event and they are getting good information. I mean, you can go to Facebook Live. I know a lady running a nonprofit group who does better Facebook Lives than any reporter I've seen. And she doesn't, I mean, I'll go, I was at her agency once and she popped out the, the camera and I thought, okay, the, her name's Nancy Yarbrough. She runs Fresh Start in the city. And it's a, it's a wonderful place for women and children who, who have dealt with trafficking and abuse. It's a it's a wonderful place, but she constantly does what I consider like news reports about what is going on. And I think we have to be open to all of these changes because the world, it is changing and the young people, this is where they're going. So uh, we're on board and I think Scripps, the, the, the company that owns our station, is definitely put a lot of investment in all digital aspects and it's the way of the future, whether we like it or not. And it's, I have to admit, it's, I'm 64 years old. 
it is not easy for me to just constantly think of social media. I, I have to admit, it's just, it doesn't come organically, let's put it that way. And I think a lot of us are like that. But the young kids, that's the first thing they're doing. They're tweeting, Instagramming, and everything else, and TikToking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's a, I, I think that's, that really makes a lot of sense in terms of talking about the digital world where everybody with a smartphone can basically be now a reporter to a certain degree. But let me just quickly pivot here and talk about how does that then hurt the credibility of your news organizations in terms of, you know, we all are trained journalists or most of us are, are trained journalists and we have a certain protocol we file, we follow, it's, we've been taught in that, but then all of a sudden have to deal with or have to engage with folks who are just pulling out their smartphones and maybe shooting something on the street. What's What's the role of journalism, journalism organizations to help the public understand, uh, you know, um, verified information and maybe not verified information? You know, maybe maybe I'll take that one. And, you know, I mean, I talk about this a lot because it's a little frustrating as an editor and as, as someone who runs a paper that I can make the statement. Not everything on Twitter is true. I know it's hard to believe, but not everything on Twitter is true. Not everything on Facebook is true. Again, hard to believe, I'm sure, for all of us. But mm -hmm. I think we have to remember it's great information. I mean, a lot of stories happen on Twitter. You find them, you find them on Facebook. But it's important for people to remember to look for for news organizations who are verifying things, who are who are ensuring they're credible, you know, whether it's Journal Sentinel, whether it's Channel 4, Channel 6, Channel 12, us. That's important because it drives conversation. And how many times have we seen a story on Twitter that was wrong that drives a conversation the wrong way? and unfortunately leads to things that shouldn't happen. So I think it's important for people to realize that media like all of us on this call talk about, you know, we invest in our staffs, we invest in our apparatus to ensure that what we run, you know, we still have a rule in the newsroom. We will not run a story unless it is verified through through a number of sources, not one source and not a source with an agenda. It's gotta be at least a couple of sources or more because it has to be true. We have, because you know what? You're always remembered for the ones you get wrong. You're not remembered for the ones you get right. <laughs> you know, John, I, I think the digital tools have given us tremendous opportunities to enhance our credibility, because at the same time, we're worried about misinformation and the toll that can take. We have a whole host of digital tools at our, at our disposal to measure story engagement, that tell us who's watching, how long they're watching, what they care about more, what trade-offs they're making on every page. And that makes us better editors. That gives us what we need to help turn around and provide the stories and the information that more people want. The, the downside, the disinformation, really makes it our responsibility to educate, to do a better job of employing that technology I mentioned, and really to fact check everything. Mark is right. There's nothing that gets by without verification and, and you know, reassuring that everything that goes into our publications or on our website is absolutely correct. And that enhances our reputation and the credibility we bring to the table and hopefully makes us a more reliable source. Well, that's a good note to end on, I think. so. Uh, today, we've been talking uh, with Chancellor Mark Monet and guest Betsy Brenner, former president and publisher of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Mark Cass, the editor-in-chief of the Business Journal of Greater Milwaukee, 
Carol Meekins, a TMJ4 anchor, and Georgia Pabst, a documentarian and former Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reporter. I want to thank you all for having this really important discussion today and joining me here on uh, UWM's Chancellor's Report. I'm John Hess, General Manager at WUWM. Thanks very much. You've been listening to The Chancellor's Report, featuring Mark Monet, Chancellor of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. If you'd like more information, go to uwm.edu slash chancellor.